We are uh, heading into our last message, focusing on the faith of Moses. We're in this series, right, called By Faith. And there are a few things that I want to go ahead and bring back to our minds as we work through the final part of this passage. A few things. So the first one is we should always have this definition every single week. You guys should be like getting sick of this passage by now, right? There's two passages we bring back every week. And the first one is the definition of faith. We need to have that in our minds. That's Hebrews 11.1. 1. It's on the screen. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, and it is the conviction of things not seen, right? So faith is two things. One, it's assurance that comes from having hope. Two, It's being convicted of the things that we can't even see. So that's our foundation. The first thing we should remember is the foundation. The second thing that we are remembering as we go along in this series is where we're heading. We have the foundation, have the ground before us, and now we need to know where we're heading. This is another super familiar verse by this time. Hebrews 12, 1 through 2 on the screen as well. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses... Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand, or the right throne, the right hand of the throne of God. So meaning, we are looking at all these witnesses, that's who we've been reading about. That's, that's Moses, he's one of them. We've been reading about them in, ele- in chapter 11 as a way of being encouraged in our own faith to learn about our own faith and to turn our eyes towards Jesus who is the perfecter of our faith, right? So that's the second thing. And the third is that we need to remember some of the stuff we've been talking about with Moses, right? I don't want to have a three-part series and have us not remember the things that we've actually been learning about our faith by looking at Moses. So I just want to real quick... Recap the points from the last two weeks in case you haven't been here and you missed it or we can just all come back together and be ready for this last point tonight. So the last two weeks we've learned two major points, one major point per week, right? We learned two major things and the first one was this, is that faith defends good and godly things. Faith defends good and godly things. We learned this from Moses' parents, which by the way, every time I've gone through this series and I've had to say Moses's. I have like, it's taken everything in me to actually say the words without messing up. So we learned this from Moses' parents choosing to defend and protect the life of Moses as a baby, right? as, a, as a precious child of God, as the sanctity of life. We learned that in verse 23. Like if you're looking in your Bible, go ahead. If you have a Bible, go ahead and open to Hebrews chapter 11. That We're going through it verse by verse here, Hebrews chapter 11. We saw Moses' parents in verse 23 defending the good and godly thing that was their son who was a baby. We also learned this from Moses himself when he refused to be called the son of the Pharaoh's daughter there in verse 24, you can see. Like him refusing the status of Pharaoh's grandson was an act of defending his status as a Hebrew, as like a member of the covenant people that have been chosen to be in relationship with God. Like the, at that point in history, like the most special people in all of history, the people whom God was going to reveal his plan of salvation to. Like Moses, by choosing not to be a part of Pharaoh's household, was defending his status as a person of the chosen race, that is, the Israelites. 
So we see Moses do it as well. And then we also learn from there another thing in Moses' life. Our second point that we covered in the second week. And that is faith fuels the fight against sin. So faith defends good and godly things. And faith fuels the fight against sin. In verse 25, we saw this in Moses' choice to choose to belong to the people of God, it says. You can look there, verse 25. Choose to belong to the people of God. Then enjoy the sinful pleasures that Egypt had to offer. You'll see it there that he chose to be mistreated, it says. Then have those sinful pleasures. And last week as we were talking about this, remember we we talked about two ways, like two ways that faith fuels the fight against sin. And the first one is that faith does it by changing our perspective. Meaning that faith causes us to view the world differently. It causes us to treasure different things. Things that don't make sense to the world, but make sense to those of us that belong to God. We saw this in verse 26 when it says that Moses considered the reproach of Christ to be a greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. So he found reproach to be a greater treasure than the actual treasures that Egypt had to offer. That is a change in perspective. And we also learned that faith fuels our fight against sin by giving us hope. Does it by giving us hope. We saw this at the end of verse 26 there where it says that Moses did this because he was looking towards the reward. At the very end of 26, he had the hope of a reward to come. Whether it was the hope of belonging to God's people, the hope of setting them free, the hope of them like entering into the promised land. Like This hope empowered uh, his faith to fight against the sinful pleasures of Egypt. Like Moses had hope, and then last week at the very end we connected it and showed that Jesus had hope as well. Right? Like We just read from chapter 12, talking about how Jesus endured the cross. And how did it say that he endured it? It says that he endured it because of the hope The joy that was set before him. Jesus had a joy set before him. And at the end of last week, I encouraged you. I encouraged you to spend some time. I gave you time in the midst of this gathering here to ask the Lord where your sins are. to, To find the things that you find pleasure in. To identify those things. And then ask him to put them in perspective with what it means to be a child of God. I encouraged you also to, to tell somebody, right, that has the Lord revealed to you, like, his plan in your life for your faith to fuel the fight against sin, like, tell somebody that. Include them in that. Like, bring somebody alongside you as you both chase after Jesus. And I, I really wanted to bring that up because if you, didn't, if you haven't done that yet, I just want to make sure you do. I just want to give you that chance again. I want to give you that second reminder that if you haven't done it, make sure you do. Make sure you're bringing others along. Still plenty of opportunities to do that. Shoot a text to somebody. Find somebody in the group afterwards. Come talk to a leader. Like, let's, let's live life together. All right, so that is like my five-minute recap of everything that we have covered in the past few weeks here talking about Moses. And we are ending tonight in Moses' story in verse 27. So let's get our eyes back into the passage. I'm going to start in verse 26 just to get a little bit of context. It says, he, Moses, considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith, he left Egypt, 
not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. So let's, let's hone in on what we learn in verse 27 about faith here. And what we learn, our main point for tonight, is that faith overcomes fear. The thing we see about faith tonight is that faith overcomes fear. You can see it right there at the beginning of verse 27. It says, by faith he left Egypt. So by faith he left Egypt. And then, not being afraid of the anger of the king. So there, once again, we see this phrase. It's the title of our series, by faith. Meaning that faith is the causing agent. Faith is the, the driving factor. Faith is the reason whatever we're about to read is able to happen. So by faith, because of faith... He left, and he left, it says, because he wasn't afraid, meaning that faith caused him not to fear. By faith, he had no fear. It caused him not to fear the consequences of Pharaoh's wrath. His faith caused him not to fear the unknown of where he might be going or where he was heading. Like His faith caused him not to fear things that are so common for all of us, like common to mankind. And you know, like we face those kind of fears still today. Like the, the fear of the wrath of those that are over us. I mean, starting like, you know, your boss, a professor, parents, government like we have those fears that build up in us like many of us fear going against them many of us fear rebelling many of us fear disappointing them and bringing shame or wrath upon us from them but we also fear the unknown the unknown of of what might possibly happen to us in a situation the unknown of like the, the reason something is currently happening to us not knowing the reason why Like the unknown and the uncontrollable, the unknown and the uncontrollable things in life, they create in us like this terrible feeling of anxiety, right? Like a feeling of fright. And many of you felt it, you know, that pit in your stomach, your head swirling feeling. Like for some of us, fears and anxieties, they bring us to tears, For others, it causes us to rebel. It causes us to isolate ourselves in order to protect. Like what I'm saying is that in general, they're they're basically like two types of people when it comes to dealing with fear in our lives. Now, I'm making broad generalizations here, but for the most part, one of uh, we fall in one of these or both of these at different times in our life. Like when we fear, some of us despair. When we fear, some of us despair. That's the first one. And the second one is when we fear, some of us go into this protection control mode, right? Let's just call it control. We either despair or we control. Let me give you a a couple examples. So some of you, when, when something frightening happens, something that causes you to fear, and let's even say anxiety, Because the definition of anxiety is the feeling of uneasiness, worry, or nervousness about an imminent event or uncertainty of an outcome. So like according to scripture and what we see in scripture, anxiety is a form of fear. Like 
a biblical definition of fear includes all those things that anxiety includes, which you're going to see in a moment when we get to it. But so for some of you, when this happens, when these arise, you go into despair. You feel hopeless. You feel sick. Tears might come to your eyes. Your heart races. Panic attacks set in. Like these things can happen. And your response is to despair, to retreat, to hide, to disconnect, to isolate yourself. Like some of you, like you shame yourself for it, right? You, so, you become so extremely self-focused. Like, you know, a lot of times it's called like this woe is me attitude. Like not even just in like the negative sense, but this idea of just like you either shame yourself or you assume that other people are shaming you as well. And you just focus upon that. And some of us can choose to ignore the truth of Scripture or the reality of God. Instead, choosing to focus on only what we can see or only what we can feel in the moment. Like for some of you, all of you, all of us, in certain times, like when fear happens, despair happens. But then like there's the other people in the room, right? Like if that's not you, this one's probably you. I know I resonate with this one a lot. Like when fear happens, control happens. Like you overexert yourself in the situation. You, you bear down, you clench your teeth, and you will. You personally will that things are going to happen. And the more things you can control, the less fear you feel. The more things that are in your control, the better you feel. Like I said, I, I fall more into this category, but I, I wanted to give you a, a different example. So Brittany and I, uh, we just had some friends over this past weekend. Like we've had a lot of people visiting like every single weekend before the baby comes, right? And we just had some friends visit this past weekend. And I won't go into all the details, um, but one of our friends, while they were visiting, revealed to us that they've been diagnosed with a tumor on their spinal nerve. And it's a, it, they said it's a very deep tumor. And it's going to take a surgery that's going to last many hours long just to get to it, just to evaluate it, and then maybe hopefully remove it. They don't know until they get like four hours deep into the surgery even what they're even going to be able to do. And as she's telling us this, like you can clearly see the reaction of control happening, right? She is fearful, but you can see this action of control. As she's telling us this news, we ask, like, why didn't, why didn't you say anything to us? Like, why didn't you let us know? She's been going back and forth to this hospital for weeks. Like, why, how, why didn't you say anything? And she said, because she was going to be fine. That everything's going to work out. That no matter what, she's just going to keep on going. Which in some ways is noble, right? The idea of not giving up, not despairing. But what's actually going on in her heart that moment? I said to her, you know, you can't will yourself to be healed, right? Like, that's not how this works. You can't will yourself for this to go away. And I said that to her in the moment because she was using control to deal with it. Like her method of conquering her fear was to control it. She was using that to conquer her fear in the same way that many of us will use despair to try to conquer our fear. But what scripture reveals is that faith is what should conquer our fear. Faith is the enemy of fear. Like, here's the relation. Where faith is abundant, fear is scarce. 
Where faith is abundant, fear is scarce. And to the opposite, where faith is scarce, fear is abundant. I don't want you to just believe me. Like, I want you to see what Jesus has to say about it. So let me show you what Jesus had to say about it. You don't need to turn there. I'll have it on the screen. But let's look at an example of Jesus speaking on the relationship between faith and fear. This is passages from Mark 4. You'll probably recognize this story. It's the disciples in the boat. It says, On that day when evening had come, he said to them, Jesus said to the disciples, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Like that right there. That's despair. God, like Lord, Savior of my life, do you not care about me? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace. Be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm, and he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? You see it right there in verse 40. Why are you afraid? That's fear. Why are you afraid? Have you still no faith? Jesus is saying that the abundance of fear in our lives must mean that there's a lack of faith in our lives. That's what he is saying to them. If there's this abundance of fear in you, the relation is there is a lack of faith. Just like the author of Hebrews here back in verse 27, like back to the scripture that's in your lap, like back verse 27, you can look at it. Just like the author of Hebrews says, we know that Moses acted by faith because he was not afraid. Of the king's anger. And, and I pray this reveals something to you tonight. That if your life is dominated by fear or anxiety. That it could be a lack of faith. It could be a lack of faith. Now I, I have to. I have to make a super quick caveat. Because I, I need to acknowledge. I need to let you know. like Some fear is caused by trauma. Right? Like physical or emotional trauma that has happened to us in the past. Like some fear exists as uh, our brain and body's natural reaction due to some awful occurrence or event that has traumatized us. And I'm not speaking particularly to like that fear. Like yeah, that fear also relates to faith. And those are also intersected. Like fear is always relevant to faith. And oftentimes our faith is what is going to bring us peace in those moments, even if it is a trigger from trauma. But I do need to say as this caveat, like it's not as simple as the type of fear that the disciples had right here in this passage. Like the type of fear that the disciples are going through in this, in this boat, the type of fear that Moses would have had facing the king's anger, like we called those like, Ordinary occurrences in life fear, right? Things that can happen to anybody that happen from living life. Like the fear that occurs because of trauma can oftentimes take more nuance than I have in this message. But that doesn't mean you should tune out to this message, right? Like that doesn't mean that the principle of faith versus fear doesn't hold true for you in your circumstance because it does hold true but if you've experienced specific traumas that cause some of this stuff, it means that you might need deeper counsel. You might need some 
counsel to, to work through how faith and fear play out in your lives and how it relates to what you've been through in your past. So I just want to say, like wherever you are, like take these principles, pray over them, think over them, learn them, and as the Lord reveals to you, like seek deeper counsel if needed to help with that trauma-related fear. But faith, faith is still the key, right? Faith is still the key, but it just might take a little more evaluation, nuance, and application in your life on your situation, right? So I need to say that caveat because I don't want you sitting there in, in a, a place of despair simply because you're like, I, I physically can't control it, right? Like there are options for you and, and I would love to talk to you. So if that is the route that you feel you need to take as a point of application, as always, talk to a pastor, come find me, let's get you some counsel, right? Let's walk alongside one another as we both follow after Jesus. So the fears and anxieties that come from like everyday occurrences, like I said, right? Let's talk about some of those. Those fears and anxieties come from like tests. They come from boards. I'm looking at you Palmer peeps that are here, right? All the boards that happen to be coming up or that you're going through. Uh, they're the type of things that happen from large social gatherings. Like I know many people, they get super anxious from large social gatherings. Like they also happen from like, you know, there's a war going on in Ukraine right now and that causes fears and anxiety in people. It's even fears and anxieties like starting something new, jumping into something that is unknown. And like the list goes on, I could keep on listing them for quite a while, but something tells me you've already got a few in your mind, right? You've already got a few in your mind of things that you struggle with when it comes to fear. So we've established the types of fear to deal with. We've established that there is a relationship between faith and fear. You saw that in verse 27. You saw that in Mark as I brought it up to you. Establish that. So really the only question left is, well, what do we do with it now? All right, we get it. We understand it. We know that. What do we do with it? Well, the answer lies back in verse 27. Let's look at it one final time tonight. Verse 27, by faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Look at that very last part there. He endured as seeing him who is invisible invisible. If you have the CSB translation, it says, for Moses persevered as one who sees him who is invisible. Meaning, under the pressure of fear of the king's wrath, Moses was not afraid because he had a perseverance. And that perseverance was if he had seen the invisible one. So there's two options here when we're talking about the invisible one. I mean, that's sort of like the confusing part of the passage, right? So two options when we're talking about the invisible one here. One, the author is either talking about God the Father or he's talking about Christ as the invisible one. And we can't say with 100% certainty because, like, he did mention Christ just a couple verses ago. But clearly God is described as the invisible one in a few different passages as well. So we don't know for sure, but honestly that's beside the point because no matter what, he's talking about God. He's talking about God the Father or Christ the Son, it doesn't matter. He's talking about God. And what he's essentially saying, he's like, that Moses guy, like, yeah, that one we all know about, like the one with the staff and the parting of the Red Sea and the burning bush and the, the plagues that come upon Egypt, like all those things, that guy wasn't afraid. He didn't fear Pharaoh because Moses acted as if he had seen God himself. That's what he's getting across. He had perseverance, a perseverance that comes from a man that has seen God himself. 
But we know up until that point, I mean, there's this moment where Moses goes on a mountain, but that hadn't happened yet. So we know up until that point that Moses hadn't seen God himself. However, he did have a moment in which God had called him. Probably one of the most famous passages about Moses. He had a moment where his path intersected with the Almighty in an amazing way. The moment of the burning bush. God miraculously worked in the life of Moses to intervene in his life, to call him to himself, and to set him on a mission. And from that moment on, Moses acted as if he had seen God himself. Look at the actions of Moses before the burning bush, and then look at the actions of Moses after the burning bush. And you'll see exactly what I mean. Moses acted as if he had seen the invisible one. And that life-changing event is what caused him to persevere against fear. And guys, the same is true in your life. Like if you are a Christian, if you are like a true Christian, if you believe Christ has died for your sins, that you confess him as Lord to Savior, and you believe in your heart that he is raised from the dead, then you have had a miraculous encounter with God Almighty. Like there is a moment in your life where you have crossed over from death to life. Just as miraculous as Moses walking into the place where the burning bush was. God has called you to himself through salvation. And just like Moses, he set you on a mission. And I want to end tonight by remembering the mission. This is going to help us. This is going to help us answer the question of like, okay, I get it now. How? So let's remember the mission. Matthew 28, 19 through 20 says, Jesus talking to his disciples says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So that's the mission. Right? After God called you to himself through salvation, he called you to others through mission. He called you to himself through salvation and to others through mission. But seriously, like, don't miss that last line there. Don't miss that promise that caps off this mission. What does it say? Behold, I am with you always. Guys, Moses walked as if he had seen God himself. But we have something better. We walk not only as if we had seen God, but we walk as if Jesus is walking with us. We walk as if Jesus is with us always. And that is how we persevere through fear. That is how we increase our faith in a way that decreases fear. We live and we act in full assurance that we have seen God in our lives and that he is actually with us at all times. So when we face fear that comes from life, when something difficult or scary or strenuous is set before us, how do we allow faith to be abundant, and fear to be scarce. 
The solution is we walk as if we have seen the invisible one. That we walk into that situation as if we know Christ is with us. We walk into that situation because we are on mission. We do it because we know Christ and Christ is our strength. Christ is our hope. You know, how many of you have heard that passage, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me? Right? Like it is the, the best one to make fun of because people take it out of context all the time. But do you know what the context of that passage is? The context of that passage is Paul saying, I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and facing hunger, of facing abundance and need. Guys, what causes more fear than scarcity and hunger and need? He says, I've learned the secret. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Paul says it, whether I face hunger, whether I'm brought low, whether I'm in need, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Like I am strengthened by Christ when I face need. Can any of you argue with me that your fear is not a time of need? So when you face a fearful situation, you walk into that situation with the actuality that you're on mission, that Christ is with you always, and that you have seen and been in relationship with the invisible one. You let your assurance of things hope for, like that's our definition, right? You let your assurance of things hope for, and you let your convictions of things unseen, like literally the invisible one, be the thing that fuels your faith, fights your sin, and conquers your fear. And we're ending right here with a very, very practical way, because I know, I know that when you get into these moments, that you're like, okay, Cody, thanks a lot. I need to have more faith. I get it. Like, I need to love Jesus more, but how do I do that? Like, I want to give you some things to practice. They call it like practicing the presence of God. I want to give you some things to practice that will actually let you do this in the moment. And we're just throwing all three of them on the screen. And they, they're, they're as simple as can be, guys. And they're as life-giving as can be. Like a practice of prayer. Like to become a person that gets into the practice of prayer when facing these situations. And not just when facing these, but become a person who is praying. A person that is already praying and has that instilled in them is the person that's going to pray when they get to their darkest days. And when they face the biggest things. A memory of scripture. I just read for you. A scripture that could be a, a beacon of hope in those moments, right? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's not something you put on the back of a basketball jersey. Right? That's something that you hold on to in the moments when you don't think you can face the need, when you don't think you can face the hunger, when you don't think you can face the scarcity. It's those types of scriptures that allow you to lean on God and practice his presence when it comes to facing the things you fear. And the last one is a belonging to God's people. You know, if you hadn't walked in here tonight, if you hadn't sat down in these chairs, what, 90% chance you probably wouldn't have heard a message about fear this week. Probably wouldn't have been encouraged in this scripture. Probably wouldn't have even talked to somebody about your anxiety unless something had blown up somewhere, right? Being among God's people puts you in places to think about these things that you wouldn't normally think about, to read about these things you may not normally be think, reading about. 
and to be among people who are going to sharpen you in a way that you're not going to sharpen yourself. One of the best ways that you continue growing and leaning on Jesus and turning your eyes towards him in the midst of fear and anxiety is to be among God's people in a weekly routine. Like this, definitely on Sunday mornings as the whole church gathers together. Like, don't forsake the meeting of God's people as one of the ways that he's going to sharpen you and have you lean on him in time. So that's three really practical ways. I hope this was clear for you guys. I'll have you know, it is terribly difficult to talk about such a felt need. Right? Fear is a felt need in a lot of us. And so there's a lot of things I could not cover. There's a lot of nuances I couldn't possibly get to in 32 minutes. So if you want to talk about it, come find me. Come find one of our leaders. Talk to a pastor. If you want to have some deeper conversations, shoot me a message. Join our group me. Whatever you need, right? We're here for you. So let me pray for us just as we summarize all this, and then we'll move into the rest of the night. Father, thank you so much for your word. I say it every single week. Thank you so much for your word, for without it, Lord, we wouldn't be sharpened. We wouldn't be divided like, it, like as if a sword cutting through us, Lord. We wouldn't be challenged in the things that we need to be challenged in. Lord, without your people, we wouldn't be encouraged to, to have the word of Christ dwell in us richly. Lord, I pray for all of those here that are really struggling with these fears and anxieties. Lord, I pray that this message goes beyond just somebody telling them to feel better. This message goes beyond someone just saying, oh, just have enough faith, it's fine. Lord, I pray that you would use this passage, these words as some practical application to actually start towards what it means to increase our faith and see the fear decrease in our lives. Father, strengthen us like only you can. I pray that anything I said that was not your word would fall short, Lord. And that anything that is your word would have eternal impact in our lives. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.